the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Saul had the kingdom, he had power, he had an army, he had wealth, he had everything going for him, humanly speaking, but he didn't have the Lord. The Lord had departed from him because Saul was disobedient to God. And so the one thing that David had, because he didn't have the kingdom yet, even though he had been anointed as the next king of Israel, wasn't his time. He didn't have the kingdom, he didn't have wealth, he didn't have anything, but he had the Lord, which means he had everything. The Lord was with David. But the Lord had departed from Saul. If you're like me, it's easy to look at successful people and be envious of what they have. A high-paying job, a big house with fancy cars, exotic vacations, the perfect family. And then you think, God, what about me? I've been following you for this long and these people aren't even Christians. Pastor Gary teaches you in today's message that without God, material wealth means nothing. But if you have God in your life, even if you're a poor shepherd like David, you gain everything that God has to offer. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where we are. 1 Samuel chapter 18 in your Bibles as we make our way through this book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we were introduced to Samuel the prophet. We've been introduced to Saul, the first king of Israel. And now the person who takes center stage really through much of the Bible from this point forward is David. I mean, even David is referenced a lot in the New Testament because Jesus is the son of David, because Jesus descended from the line of King David, which was all part of the Messianic prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. So David, the only David mentioned in the Bible, is someone who as I said, kind of take center stage here because God is going to use him in a powerful way. He's a man just like you and I are. He has feet of clay. He sins. He uh, has victories. He has defeats. He has uh, times of joy and times of tears. He will write three-fourths of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. The Psalms were songs, so he is both a poet and a songwriter, and he's also a warrior. He's a mixture of both the tender and the tough side of a man, and so he's got this great combination of being both you know, sensitive but also being very tough as a warrior, and we're going to see some of that warrior side of him as we go further into chapter 18, but let me pause and pray, and then we'll dive in where we left off. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. 
Uh, Lord, we are needy people. We need more of you. Always, Lord, this is our prayer. Even as John the Baptist said, he must increase, meaning Jesus, that I might decrease. And we pray, God, that we would each decrease, Lord, and that you would increase in our lives, in our church, that you would be most exalted in everything, Lord. And we thank you for this time together in your word. We pray that you will use it to speak to us an ancient story with very timely application. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So chapter 17 is the famous uh, battle of David and Goliath. And uh, David defeats Goliath. You know, it's been used in symbolic ways ever since to talk about the, the little guy defeating the big giant. Uh, in very figurative ways, but this was a literal story that literally happened. David was probably no more than 17 or so at the time. Uh, Goliath standing nine feet, nine inches, the Bible says, and with a simple sling and a stone, God behind the arm of David. David flung the stone and Goliath dropped dead. And in order to make sure that he was actually dead and not just simply Stunned by the stone, uh, David then took out Goliath's own sword from its sheath and cut off Goliath's head with Goliath's sword and kind of carried around as a little trophy for a little time. Uh, You know what 17-year-old doesn't want a trophy? Uh, This was at a time when trophies were only given when you actually won something. And, um, and And so there David is. There David is with his trophy, the head of Goliath, and how huge would that have been from, you know, the frame of a nine-foot, nine-inch man, so you can only imagine, but um, that's where uh, chapter 17 ends, and Saul, being so impressed as king of Israel at the time, with young David's courage, David had the courage that the rest of the Israeli army did not have. No man wanted to go out and fight Goliath, but David did so, knowing it was in the strength of the Lord. You know, Saul then recruits David into his court, and Saul will then um, have David in a position where uh, Saul can keep his eye on him, because Saul becomes very threatened, very intimidated by David's success. Uh, Here's Saul is, uh, a man probably at least in his late 50s at this point, and Here's the 17-year-old punk who comes along and kills Goliath, and and Saul literally turns insane over this. Um, He wrestles with literally demons. I know we use that as an expression sometimes, or somebody, you know, is fighting their demons. I mean, this, uh, and it can be literal, but in this case, uh, Saul is literally tormented. He's opened himself up to that torment, and God sends distressing spirits to torment Saul because of Saul's disobedience toward God. There's always a price to pay. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. And when we transgress against God, we invite hardship in our lives, which you know is really something we should all be aware of because the world has enough hardships of its own that we will encounter even if we're not doing something sinful just because we live in a sinful world. So why would we want to add to that? by disobeying God. And so Saul has added to his own hardship by disobeying God. And thus, God has allowed a distressing spirit. We're going to see that here in chapter 18. And he invites this. And part of this tormenting, distressing spirit that um, plagues Saul 
is this desire then to eliminate David because Saul is so intimidated by David's success and David's courage and David's popularity. David becomes very popular with the nation of Israel that Saul will go to great lengths to literally kill him. And God protects David, but nevertheless, you can just see this, this man now who is Saul, who has been just absolutely plagued by insecurities, jealousy, envy, uh, anger, hatred, uh, all of this. And it's a very tragic story, as we've said in, in the course of going through this book. Saul gets off to a great start, but he doesn't finish well. And really, it, it doesn't matter as much what kind of a start you got. What matters is how well you finish. Uh, some of you came to Christ late in life. Some of you still don't know Christ. And so, you know, you're looking at your life and you think to yourself, well, I've done a lot of this and I've done a lot of that. And you wonder where there might be room in God's family for you. And the fact is, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past Um, There's a point when you can come to Christ and have all that forgiven, and so it doesn't really matter the years in the past. What matters is going forward and how well that we finish. This is like running a race. This is why the Bible refers to Christianity. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. This is a journey. This is a race. Run the race with perseverance that we might eventually then receive the prize and our internal inheritance in the Lord. And so... Um, This is where we are. Now, you see at the beginning of chapter 18, a deep love, a deep friendship between Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and David. There's about a 20 to 30 age difference between the two of them. And yet, I, I once read an article about the significance of intergenerational friendships because the younger generation can glean something from the wisdom and experience of the older generation. The older generation can glean something from the innovation and uh, you know the new ideas and fresh perspectives of a young generation. And there seems to be here at least 20, perhaps as many as 30 years age difference between these two. Yes, it does talk about a deep love that the two shared. It speaks about how they were knit together, their souls were knit, but this is nothing sexual. The gay community, the homosexual community has hijacked this. They have distorted the narrative. They want you to believe that these two had a homosexual relationship that just simply isn't true. But be that as it may, it's an undeniable close male bonding that these two guys had. Remember, they're warriors. I mean, even though David is young and Jonathan is older, serving in the Israeli army, they have a deep mutual respect because they're both warriors. And so that's where we left off, chapter 18, verse 4. Let's pick it up there at verse 5. It says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, again, bear in mind, he's not even of military age. You had to be over 20, according to Scripture, to serve in the Israeli army. But because he's had this great success in defeating Goliath with the power of the Lord, the strength and the help of God, he has acquired instant respect. You know, there's nothing like killing the biggest giant your biggest adversary to gain respect among your fellow Israelites. And so uh, Saul has put David in a position of authority here, and he has the respect with it. And so he's a warrior. Verse 6, now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. 
And so the women sang as they danced and said, here we go, Saul has slain his thousands, but listen, and David his ten thousands. Okay? Now listen, you know, nothing worse than, you know, having women who are, you know, these are two men, okay? So Saul and David, nothing worse than being in a competition over who the women like the most, right? And so like David is 17 and the women are singing about him higher accolades than they are about the king of Israel. So they're like, the Saul's killed his thousands. Yeah, but David, well, that boy, he's, he's killed tens of thousands. Like he's the real war hero here. And so, you know, I just... I look at this story and I just think about how, you know, did that change David's strut a little bit? You know, all the women coming out dancing, singing about him. But anyway, the Bee Gees sang about it. Um, but let's move on. No more dad jokes. Okay, so, but look what happened. Verse 8, then Saul was very angry because of this. He's jealous. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Okay, so notice the suspicion sets in, the insecurity sets in. Verse 10, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God, here it is, this this demonic presence, the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. Now, notice this again. This is a distressing spirit that God has allowed. This is not a distressing spirit that God has conjured up. This is a distressing spirit that he has allowed. And it says Saul prophesied. Now, it doesn't mean it in the original language in the traditional sense of a prophet prophesying. The Hebrew can also mean uh, mumblings or ramblings. So um, that's in the context. God has allowed a demonic spirit to torment Saul, and as a result, he just starts rambling. He just starts mumbling. He just starts saying things that that don't make uh, much sense. And so, next sentence, so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Okay, notice the contrast. There's a harp in David's hand. There's a spear in Saul's hand. And what I find interesting is when it concerns David, the same hand that slew a giant is the same hand that worships the Lord. So he's both a warrior and a worshiper. He knows who his enemy is. And in the name of the Lord, you know, David was the one who who comes to uh, Goliath in the Valley of Elah, and he's the one who says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of uh, hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And so, you know, with this great courage, he he goes up against the enemy, but he's also this just uh, very tender worshiper, too. And so there he is playing Worship because, as he has done in the past, this normally will soothe Saul. And how many of you understand it's good to soothe somebody when they have a weapon in their hand? And so David knows, like, you know, I wonder if he's playing quickly, like, you know, Lord, help him, help him, Lord, help him, help him. Because, because this guy's got a spear in his hand, and so, you know, David's probably strumming that, that heart pretty rapidly there. And so, and so it says in verse 11, and Saul cast the spear, notice, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice, twice. Now, you read some Bible commentaries, and it says that it means actually that it wasn't just that 
Saul threw the spear once and missed and then threw it again, it kind of indicates that he threw once and missed. David went away, came back, and Saul tried it again. In other words, David, David wasn't intimidated by, by Saul because he trusted the Lord more than he was afraid of, of Saul's um, manic state here. The next verse, verse 12 says, now Saul was afraid. Notice this. He was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. I'll come back to that in a moment, but just kind of notice that. The Lord was with David, and the Lord had departed from Saul. Verse 13, therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. You know, he promotes David here. He commissions him. You're a captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw... That he behaved very wisely. He was afraid of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. That last phrase just simply means he went out to war and then he came back. Went out to war and he came back. A couple of principles. We've been looking at different principles through these chapters, and and here's the first one. Uh, Number one, when provoked, don't retaliate. Hold your peace. I love the way that David just responds in a very calm way to the attack here. He doesn't retaliate. Saul tries to kill him. He doesn't, you know, take the spear that Saul tried to kill him with, but missed, and chuck it back at Saul. You know, he he holds his peace. He doesn't retaliate. This is an important discipline that we need to understand. And I hope and pray that all of us, if you're a believer in Jesus, will ask for the same spirit of Jesus to be able to hold your tongue and to hold your reactions and your responses when necessary. Because I'm sure all of us at some point can testify to the fact that when we try to retaliate because we think it'll make us feel better, it actually makes things worse. And and we usually end up in a worse situation than if we had just bit our tongue and walked away. That's what David does. He just bites his tongue and he walks away. You know, Isaiah the prophet, when he spoke about Messiah prophetically, writing about Jesus in Isaiah 53, 7 Isaiah said that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Remember when Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate? He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to retaliate. He didn't open up his mouth. He just let God defend him. And, of course, the Bible reminds us in Romans 12, 19, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we have to learn to trust God with the people who might be after us or the people who might be accusing us falsely or the people who might be, you know, gossiping about us or the people who, you know, might be trying to afflict us in some way or malign us. You know, there's only so much you can do. And then you start to look like, you know, you're just defending yourself. And then and then that looks small. And, and it's better to let the person who's trying to do what they're trying to do look smaller by just not responding and not retaliating. Praying sometimes, you know, somebody said this to me years ago, and it's come in handy, and I've recalled it many times. Pray it, don't say it. Like in the moment when you want to say it, you just bite your tongue till it bleeds, and you pray through it. You pray it, you don't say it. And I love this about David. He has this restraint. You know, anybody can just go off. Anybody can do that. But it takes a man or a woman with courage and self-discipline to restrain yourself so that you don't retaliate and you let God handle things. Now, that isn't to say that you never stand up for yourself. That isn't to suggest that you never need to sometimes correct the record. 
Um, but what I'm talking about is this need that sometimes we have to just get even or to, you know, uh, for the sake of like, you know, making sure everybody likes us and doesn't believe this person that we, you know, end up trying to say something or retaliate in a way that really does us more harm than good. So let's learn self restraint. When provoked, don't retaliate, hold your peace. The other thing here that I see is how it mentions twice, verse 12, now Saul was afraid of David, and again in verse 15, therefore when Saul saw that he behaved, David behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. What would the king have to be afraid of like a teenager for? Like, why would you be afraid of this guy? Except that Verse 12 is really where his fear comes from. The Lord was with David, but the Lord had departed from Saul. And that's where he felt very insecure, and that's why he was afraid of David. And so just kind of a simple little mathematical equation, everything minus the Lord equals nothing, but nothing plus the Lord equals everything. Think about this. Saul had the kingdom, he had power, he had an army, he had wealth. He had everything going for him, humanly speaking, but he didn't have the Lord. The Lord had departed from him because Saul was disobedient to God. And so the one thing that David had, because he didn't have the kingdom yet, even though he had been anointed as the next king of Israel, wasn't his time. He didn't have the kingdom. He didn't have wealth. He didn't have anything, but he had the Lord, which means he had everything. The Lord was with David, but the Lord had departed from Saul. And that's why Saul was a man who was paranoid and fearful of David. Well, read on, verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merab. Now, remember that one of the things that King Saul promised the soldier who defeated Goliath, one of the things he promised, remember, was his daughter's hand in marriage. King Saul said, I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. I'll give you great riches and I'll exempt you from taxes. And so now Saul is going to try to make good on his word. We see it goes sideways, but here's, here's how it goes. Here's my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Now, here's, here's where we're heading with Saul. And you're going to see a few more examples besides this one. Saul realizes... I can't seem to kill this guy. You know, I'm throwing spears at him and the kid doesn't die and he just, you know, evades everything I I try to do to kill him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to kill him. I'm just going to thrust him into battle and I'm going to let the Philistines kill him. And so this is his plan now. He's strategizing. He's conniving, Saul is. And he's thinking, how can I eliminate David but without myself having to kill him. So here's what I'm going to do. You can have my daughter, Merab, but you got to go into battle and fight the Philistines. Well, here's what happens. Verse 18, so, so David said to Saul, well, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? I mean, David's just genuinely just kind of humble. He's like, you know, I, I don't even really deserve this and I'm going to fight for Israel regardless if you ever really give me your daughter. So, you know, I just kind of defer back to you. And it says, but it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Meholothite, as a wife. And so Saul goes back on his word. Now, there's another daughter. Saul has two daughters. Merab is one. Michal is another. And so here comes verse 20. Now, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. 
So you get the idea that Marab really didn't. She loved this other guy, Adriel. And so, so those two get married. And here comes Michal, Saul's other daughter. She loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And so Saul said, I will give her to him. Notice that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of the king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, but still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.